Hi, and welcome to another episode of Whycology, an introduction to psychology. If you recall, last week we talked about depression. We discussed how it looks different from person to person. We took a look at some of the different theories out there about how to address it, how sometimes medication and talk therapy mixed together can be really effective. We discussed some of the resources out there in case someone's struggling with it, what to say or what to do or who to call. We also talked about how there can be a lot of confusion around it. Well, today we are talking about a far more common mental illness, according to the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Anxiety disorders affect nearly 20% of U.S. adults. That means roughly 48 million people have been diagnosed with one of the anxiety disorders that exist in that big purple book. Now, that number could be much larger. It's an estimate, right, for 48 million people. But how many individuals don't go in to receive some sort of help or to get diagnosed? That's why this is an estimated number. You could give or take a little bit. But this is based purely on surveys and data that's been collected for many, many years. As a scale, major depressive disorders, they estimate around 8.4%. So you're looking at almost a 15% difference. It's around 11% difference between anxiety, and depressive disorders in terms of how they affect adults here in the U.S. So anxiety disorders are much more common. We see them in different ways. They show up in different manners. Today we're going to focus on generalized anxiety disorder. In the future, we'll talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, which is classified as an anxiety disorder. And... We'll also talk about some of the other ones in there. I'll touch a little bit on social anxiety and a little bit on panic attack disorder. Just as a comparison to see kind of the differences and how sometimes even professionals can get a little bit mixed up or confused based on symptoms. But today we are focused on generalized anxiety disorder. So let's start off with a case study. John is a junior in high school. Lately, his parents have noticed a change in his habits. He appears to be exhausted, couldn't focus on assignments or chores, was not sleeping well, and often clenched his hands. At first, they thought it had to do with the difficult pressures of assignments and visiting colleges. But they noticed that conversations seemed to escalate into large topics of concern and worry, and John could not calm himself down without the parents distracting him or telling him everything was going to be okay. They are worried about his grades and that John might not be able to perform in his sports or social activities, and if in the future he can't handle the pressures of a full-time job. So, this case study checks off a lot of the boxes right off the bat. 
And I feel a need to first explain something that people don't always know. If you're under the age of 18, there is a lot of pushback from whatever the system is in place. Uh, A lot of pushback from insurance companies, from providers, to be very careful about diagnosing someone with a mental illness before they turn 18. So when they come up with case studies about individuals under the age of 18 and mental illnesses, they kind of do have to check off all these boxes because they want people to be very clear when they're diagnosing an individual under the age of 18 that this can impact their identity and their mental health drastically. There's nothing to be embarrassed about having a mental illness. But sometimes we can't help that. We don't like the way that we feel or how we act. And we don't really want it to be out there in the open. So they take it very seriously when they diagnose someone under the age of 18. And they do take it very seriously for an adult. For someone over the age of 18. But they just try to be extra careful. There's a lot more rules and laws in place protecting people who are under the age of 18. So keep that in mind as we discuss this. There's a reason why some of these case studies are so blatant. So first off, in this big purple book, we're looking at generalized anxiety disorder. And as we look back at that case study with John, we can tell that he's easily fatigued. He's having difficulty concentrating or his mind is going blank. There's a lot of muscle tension, right? He was clenching his fists. And because of his fatigue and the concern and worry, he's not getting as much sleep. He's not on a normal sleep schedule. He's not getting rested. He's not feeling rested. And he also finds it very difficult to control the anxiety, the worry. The parents have noticed that he can't seem to control it. He can't calm himself down. So technically, we only need one of these few things I just mentioned to diagnose him with anxiety because he's under the age of 18. But he checks off about four of them. And they notice that this this has been occurring for a while. And they also notice that it doesn't seem to be connected to anything like they thought it was. He's worried about everything and anything. There's no rhyme or pattern. And it's not like he's nervous necessarily about hanging out with people. It's not like he goes into a crowd and he has a panic attack or can't seem to calm himself down it's all the time no matter what the situation is so from this context we know it's not social anxiety disorder and we also know it's not panic attack disorder panic attack disorder acts a little bit more like it's coming out of left field it will catch you unaware it will surprise you You can have panic attacks with generalized anxiety disorder, 
But let's say you don't feel anxious typically. You just have a panic attack that comes out of nowhere and hits you at random times. So that's the difference there. If you have a panic attack while you have anxiety, they sometimes like to classify that as an anxiety attack. But anxiety attacks can technically last a very long time, whereas a panic attack lasts about a few minutes typically. It can go on longer, but with breathing exercises, you're able to come out of it. Anxiety attacks may not be as frightening or sudden or causing hyperventilation, but they can cause a great deal of discomfort where you can basically be out of it for up to a couple days. So, generalized anxiety disorder is just one of many different anxiety disorders, but out of them all, it's the most common. And I think often when we're talking about anxiety, we often feel the need to tell someone, oh, you know, that'll pass because you're just stressed about the test that's coming up or you're just stressed because of college or deciding what you have to do with life. You know, there's a lot of pressures in being a kid in this day and age. And that's just not true. We know mental illnesses come from very specific backgrounds, right? Often mental illnesses are created from a chemical imbalance in your brain. And so to tell someone that it will pass may not be what they need to hear. What they may need to hear is, hey, sounds like you're dealing with a lot. Take a few deep breaths. You're going to be okay. Let's figure out what we can do right now. Because in anxiety, you're often worried about everything that's to come. There's a lot of pressure from the future. It could be the future in just a minute. It could be future from a few seconds. Or it could be the future of what am I going to do with my life. There's a lot of pressure coming from what you're putting on yourself. So, what helps is to focus on the moment. Now, this doesn't work for everyone, but it's often called solution-focused, or it's called kind of a holistic approach, where don't worry about tomorrow, take care of itself, worry about the present, because you need to take care of who you are in this moment. So we kind of try to put things to the side and say, okay, you're stressed about a test tomorrow? All right, I understand that. So tonight, let's take a few breaths because where you're feeling and what you're dealing with, it's not helping you. And we want to make sure you're getting helped, that you can help yourself and that we can help you. So let's figure out a way to set some time apart that is kind of a safe space for you to study. You don't need all that pressure that you're putting on yourself. You just need to push yourself in the right direction. So that is one way to address it. They have medications that affect different chemicals in your brain to try to equalize the levels. 
But something that's not often discussed at the same time is mental illness sometimes appear because of your environment. They don't always come from a chemical imbalance. Now, the original definition of a mental illness comes from a chemical imbalance. That can be really hard to figure out. There's not some sort of blood test that can often explain it. They've came a long way. They can figure out to some extent. They can do an MRI of your brain and tell that different areas are lighting up in different ways and that there's a common way that they light up if they have a specific mental illness. But generally, what we want to do in addressing someone with anxiety is give them the tools to help themselves. You're not always going to have someone by your side that knows how to deal with it. The anxiety or a panic attack can come in a moment that's really, really bad timing. Imagine you're doing a presentation or you're, if you're like me, you're camping and you're making the fire, but it's wet wood or something like that. There are a lot of different scenarios where you can start to feel overwhelmed and anxious and you have all these symptoms going on. So to be able to help yourself is really a great tool. It's resilience. It's about focusing on your strengths. Don't focus on your weaknesses. Weaknesses are weaknesses, but you've got a lot of strengths. So focus on your strengths. You can make yourself stronger. You can make yourself better. And we're here to help guide you. I say we as if I'm a counselor, but I'm imagining for the day that I am a counselor. It's all about helping you. And to help you take off some of that pressure. And a lot of that pressure can be external or can be internal. We call them external motivations or external pressures. And then intrinsic means internal. You can have intrinsic reasons and motivations and pressures. So we're, we're trying to figure out why are you feeling this way and how can we help you not feel this way? I doubt there's anyone who wants to feel this way. It really sucks to have a panic attack. Another thing that really helps with anxiety, actually it helps with everything in counseling, but specifically with anxiety, we've been talking about self-disclosure. Self-disclosure is a technique to build that therapeutic relationship, to make you feel like, you know, we really do care about you, which we do. That's why we're going into the field. We care about people. We want to help people. So self-disclosure is when I decide, all right, I feel like if I shared a little bit about my life in this moment, that it would help you to know that you're not alone in what you're feeling. It would help you to understand my background in case we have some miscommunications. It can help you to feel like it is a safe space. Now, I know from the past talking to a counselor that I was very opposed to them trying to 
manufacture some sort of environment that I was not choosing. So, self-disclosure for me was not something I responded to well, but it's something that helps a lot of different people. And I've had panic attacks in the past. There's my self-disclosure. And what always helped me is to set everything aside and take some deep breaths. I also adapted a little technique that allowed me to feel the panic for five seconds. Some people say you should only do it for three seconds, but I say, all right, I don't know what to do right now. So for five seconds, I will feel everything. I'll allow myself to feel everything. And on that fifth second, it's done. No more. I take three deep breaths and I go do what I need to do. And that's how I got through it. That's how I got over the panic attacks. And those really were manufactured by my environment. I had several part-time jobs and I was studying my bachelor's, my undergraduate college. And I had to be driving back from one of my jobs and start to have trouble seeing and breathing and I'd have to pull over and do this technique. It's about keeping myself safe and keeping those safe around me. It's also about knowing how to help those that I was helping in my jobs. I worked with kids with autism and other learning disabilities. So if at any point I felt like I was not in control of my emotions or my feelings, it would be bad for the child as well. I always needed to be in control. I couldn't let those feelings control me in those moments. So it often overwhelmed me afterwards because all the pressures of the day and all the pressure from everything I was doing was just too much. So that's all to say that if you feel like this might be something you're struggling with, go seek help. There are so many different techniques. Like I've mentioned, there's over 300 different theories, not even techniques, theories about how to help someone. And when it comes to the social justice of it all, about why this is a big deal, it's because often people look at individuals with mental illnesses from a place of not understanding. Maybe they haven't gone through it, or maybe they're denying themselves what they're going through. And people are afraid of what they don't know. So if they see someone with a panic attack, that makes them feel anxious too. They don't know how to help you. So they show it in different ways. Maybe someone tells you you're overreacting. Maybe someone tells you, get a grip on it, suck it up. These are all terrible things for someone to say to an individual struggling with anxiety. But they don't understand. So point them to this podcast. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to explain it a little bit. I want you guys to interact with this. I want you guys to build a community. I want you guys to go find help if you're struggling. I want you to help those who are struggling. The best thing that 
can happen for an individual that's struggling with a mental illness is for community to surround them. There's a lot of research coming out about that. It's super cool. It is also very in-depth, so we won't talk about it too much. But basically, if a community surrounds someone with a mental illness and there's no other techniques, theories, interventions, no medications. It's just a group of people supporting someone. There has been research showing that that can really help someone turn it around, cope with their symptoms, and progress in their community, in their goals, and their aspirations. So there are so many things that can happen, and the best thing that you can do is go seek help and start building your support system around you. If you have any questions, visit me on my website, mycology.net, where you can send me an email, and we'll try to incorporate some of those questions into later episodes, what we talk about. Maybe we even do short episodes about all the questions that have been sent to me over a period of time. For now... Thank you so much for listening. Share it around. Share it with people you feel like might need to hear it. Share it with your family if you feel like you're struggling with something right now. Go seek help if you need it. There's resources on my page, but even just a simple Google search can give you a huge amount of numbers and people to contact. Again, thank you so much for listening. And have a great, great rest of your week. Bye.